Good morning, brothers and sisters. It is wonderful to see you all here today. If you've noticed my voice, hey, Brother Bill, how are you? How are you? It's wonderful to see some new faces once again here. Uh, my voice is an octave lower because on Thursday I was doing a scripture seminar at the high school that I work at, and so I spent six periods yelling at kids, and, and then the next day I went back to teach classes. So um, now you get to hear this for the next 40-odd minutes, so please, uh, please bear with me at this particular time. Now on TV recently, I noticed there's this show on TV called Hole in the Wall. It's based on some Japanese game show, and, and you know how Japanese game shows are really sort of strange? This one's very interesting, because it's this hole where you have these people-shaped holes and walls that go moving towards you, and the object of the contestant is to position themselves to be able to fit through the hole so the wall passes through them without pushing them into the water behind them. I watched a few episodes on, on TV here. It was really interesting. The reason why I start off with something like that is I've never realized, well, until I was a little bit older, how many times my parents would say to me that I was standing wrong. I mean, really? I mean, how, how difficult is, is it to stand? And yet, apparently, as a youngster, I was standing the wrong way, and my mum would often say to me, the older you get, like, don't slouch, put your shoulders back, head up, stand with correct posture, because as you get older, you'll find yourself slouching, it affects you later on. So there is a way to stand correctly and to stand incorrectly. If you turn your Bibles to Galatians chapter 5, we're going to read one verse for you this morning, which makes reference to how we ourselves, as God's people, stand. Well, let me clarify, how to stand. So in Galatians chapter 5, we read this. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm, then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. So I'm going to bow your heads. Let's open in a word of prayer as we see what the Lord has to show us today from today's verse. Father, we thank you so much that you have set us free. We thank you so much that you have made us new creations. We thank you so much for sending your Son to cleanse us and to forgive us of our sins through his sacrifice on the cross. And that through his resurrection and conquering of death, we too are guaranteed death also. As we look at your word this morning and at the newness of life that you have given us in Jesus Christ, I pray you will speak to us now. Please open our eyes to see the wondrous truths that are held within your scriptures and convict our hearts, Lord, especially if we are not walking in line with your heart and with your word. Minister to us now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, Galatians chapter 5 verse 1 is like a, it starts with like a summary, a summarizing statement of the previous four chapters, that everything the Lord does in us. The verse starts in this way, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. The past four chapters have been summarized in this one statement that in By God's grace in Christ, we now have newness because of Jesus to live in that freedom. 
we now have the authority in Jesus' name to be living in that freedom and experiencing the deliverance in Christ to live in that freedom. In this new life, we are warned of various dangers to avoid. Our our religious mindset, our our looking to men instead of God, and our desire to be men-pleasers rather than God-pleasers. And the importance to not only know, but live out the reality of being crucified with Christ. And nevertheless, we live. The importance to live in that revelation that we can experience relationship over religious activity. That we can experience relationship instead of just abiding by certain rules, but having those rules revealed to us with a clarity of who our relationship is with. That those rules point us to Jesus. And this, this culminates, culminates with the fact that as children of Christ, we are no longer slaves. We are set free to become a part of his family. That we are no longer slaves, that we are, we are heirs of God because of Jesus. And the facts that we not only know God, but are known by him, whether you accept it or not, whether you believe it or not, because they are realities that God bestows upon us in Jesus Christ. So it is of note here that he sets us free for freedom's sake. But it has to be said The freedom that we are set free to is not so we then can live how we want. The freedom that we are set free to is not so that we can do what we want. And I think this is one of the big misunderstandings that the Christian church has today. That we are not free of constraint. That we are not free of limitation. That we are not free of restriction. We are free of sin to live in the freedom that Christ has given us. It means about us being set free to live in a manner that pleases God. That's what we are set free to. A prisoner that finishes his time in prison is not free then to go and do what he wants and, 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 and break the law again. He is set free to abide by society's laws that enables him and that is set in place for his benefit to be able to enjoy and appreciate life in its fullness in that freedom. So too for us as Christians, we are set free not to do what we want, but to enjoy the abundance that is given to us in Christ. I remember, I think it was many years ago that Brother Jono shared an illustration. He says, we get to enjoy flying a kite because it's attached to a string. It's restricted. It is held in place, and we get to enjoy a kite that's, that's blowing around in the wind. If you set it free and cut the string, then the kite will just fall to the ground, and it's no good to anybody. So too what we have been given in Christ. Romans chapter 6, verses 17 and 18 says this, Thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, You have come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. 
I want to read just that little second part again of verse 17. To obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. That has now won your heart. That has now saved your life. You have aligned yourself Self with the gospel. You have aligned yourself with the word of God. That's what you have chosen to be a part of when the invitation was extended to you to be a follower of Jesus Christ. So then in verse 18, you have been set free from sin to become slaves to righteousness. This is the freedom that we have been set free to. Charles Wesley a great hymn writer, he speaks to this in one of my old favorite hymns, And Can It Be? If you don't know this hymn, have a look at the very uh, verses of each one. It's a beautiful one, but he says, Long my imprisoned spirit lay, fast bound in sin and nature's night. Thine eye diffused a quickening ray. I rose, the dungeon flamed with light, I filled with light. My chains fell off. My heart was free, I rose, went forth, and followed thee. It is a great hymn. It is a great hymn. My chains fell off, my heart was free, I rose, went forth, and followed thee. My chains fell, chains fell. Okay, okay, okay. All right. But this is the freedom. I can't believe singing it. We'll see it when we get to my house for lunch, sister. Sorry, you're not coming. But anyway. But this is what we've been set free to. And it is here in this particular letter that we reach our first instruction in how to live free. This is the instruction that Paul writes here. He has spent four chapters laying down the theological framework, the theological structure of who you are in Christ, of the freedom that you've been given in Christ, and the fact that you are no longer slaves, the fact that you are crucified with Christ, the fact that now you can live for him who loved you and gave himself for you. So he lays out this first instruction that if you are now in this freedom, stand firm. Stand firm in the freedom that you are now experiencing in Jesus Christ. This is the instruction given to all people, all Christians who have been born again by the Spirit of God. This is the instruction given to all who profess to name the name of Christ as Lord and Savior. This is the one that profess, that who, all, all who profess to have new life, all who profess to belong to him, all who all to profess that have received the salvation by faith in him, to stand firm. Those words, stand firm, it means to, to be stationary and to persevere in that station. It gives the idea of being re- resolute. The old King James uses this word often, to be steadfast. It means to be firmly resolved and determined. It's about not taking a step back, but about planting one's feet and bracing for the coming onslaught. Because that is what we encounter continually, especially as the children of God. If you recall several weeks ago, I gave an illustration about a foundation that is laid for us for a house, a concrete slab. And I mentioned that one of the things that form on a concrete slab is sand. 
And, 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 and we, we, we throw little things. We throw little things. We throw little bits of sand on our foundation that is Jesus Christ. But when you have sand on a concrete block and you plant your feet, even though the original foundation is solid, if there is sand under your feet, what happens when somebody pushes you? You slide. You slide. You start slipping backwards because you can't, even though your foundation is solid, you're putting your faith, you're putting your trust, you're putting your wisdom on the sand that has been placed on top of it, as opposed to Christ himself. And so when things come, you find yourself slipping backwards where you have no longer gotten the traction, the, 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 the solid footing that is needed to be able to withstand such things. So that's why we need to be very careful of the things we add to, of where we place our, our security, of where we place our, our faith, of where we place our reliance. We have to be very careful that it's on Christ and on Christ alone, not a religious festival, not a religious action, not attending certain things, but on Christ and on Christ alone. You see... In basketball, there is a particular way to stand when you're boxing out. When boxing out means when you're looking for a rebound. And there is a particular way to stand. In rugby, when you're trying to snatch the ball or trying to protect the ball, there is a particular way to stand. Nathaniel, who's very big into mixed martial arts and he's doing a lot of exercise, he shows me when he's, when he's fighting, he practices around the house, not on me, but when he practices, he shows that there is a particular way to stand. There's a particular way to stand in each of those contexts, and the way you stand determines how effective you are in each of those stances. Does that make sense? So we are told in Scripture that there are certain ways that we are to stand. There are charges that we, we have been given as the children of God that we should be standing a particular way to be able to best represent Jesus Christ to best be able to experience the abundance that he promises, to best experience victory in our Christian life. I think the church today, I think a lot of Christians today are going through so much hard time in their Christian life because they're not standing the right way, because they're not standing for the right things, because they're not standing in line with God's heart and with God's word, because they're not standing. And what's worse is a lot of them don't know how to stand. Because we're given a whole stack. I want to give you five. I want to give you five things. We're charged to stand. For example, we're told to stand in grace. Romans 5 verses 1 and 2 says this. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now... Everybody say it. Same with gusto. Because I was like... Okay. Okay, I'm going to read that part again because I was, I was really, really emotional and you just sort of brought it all the way down. Okay, we'll start at verse 2. Through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now and we boast in the hope of the glory of the Lord. We stand. We have access to the Father because of Jesus Christ. We have peace with God because of Jesus Christ. We can now stand before God because of Jesus Christ, because of the grace that has been bestowed upon us. We aren't deserving of such a position. We did not earn such a right. It was given to us through Jesus Christ and what he had done for us on the cross that enables us by faith in him to stand and be called God's son and God's daughter. To stand and be able to cry out as we looked at last week, Abba, Father. 
to stand. And as I cry out, he inclines his ear to his child. We can't stand because of the grace that has been bestowed upon us. We also, we can stand, or, or we're charged to not only stand in grace, but to stand in gospel truth. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 1. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your... By this gospel, you are saved. If you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. The gospel truth enables us to stand. By this gospel truth, we have been saved. Now, notice that second verse. If you hold firmly to the word I preached to you, otherwise you have believed in vain. What are you standing on? Who are you standing on? Your view of life right now, when you look at the hardships that are going on, what are you standing on? Your own wisdom? When you have choices to make in front of you, what determines those choices? What you think? Or standing on the gospel truth that is the power of God's salvation, that can transform you from darkness to light, that changes your citizenship, that makes you a child of the Most High, do you stand on gospel truth or do you stand on your own personal truth? That's the charge. We are charged as the people of God. This is how we box out. This is how we snatch the ball or protect the ball. This is how we take our position for the battle. We have to stand the right way, to stand in grace and to stand in gospel truth. Not only those, we are told to stand in faith. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 24, we read, not that we lord it over your faith, but we work with you for your joy because it is by faith you... Wow, you're getting worse and worse each time. I'm going to say it from now on. Because you stand, faith, by faith you stand firm. It is by faith that we stand. What is faith? Faith is the evidence of th not things unseen. The, the hope of what is longed for. That's what we look at, Hebrews 11.1. 1. What is faith? Faith is the action that results from what you believe. Faith is you stepping out on the promises that God has given to you. Faith is trusting in the Lord, even though you may not fully understand or comprehend. Faith, we are called to stand firm, and not only to stand firm in grace, gospel, truth, and faith, we are to stand against the devil's schemes. Ephesians 6, verses 10 and 11. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your, everyone with me, stand against the devil's schemes. What's always really interesting is how when you stand somewhere, you find that you get stronger when there is opposition against you. When there's opposition against you and then you have to stand somewhere. I believe I told you about the game I played at the camp. Remember King of the Ring? When you're standing in a circle and throwing people out of the ring. When you're standing there, that's essentially what this is. We have the, the enemy that is continually attacking you, continually tempting you, continually applying or enticing you by, with your own lusts and your own desires. And we are called to stand against the devil's schemes. 
not to go with the flow. I, think, I was sharing this with some of the year 12s on Thursday, and I said how the generation that you guys are growing up in today is where the whole idea of standing your ground, of holding values, of, of, of abiding by biblical truths, where that is viewed as a negative. Much of society today is promoted of going with the flow, of taking the path of least resistance, of submission, especially if those things, submission to something else, even if that something else is wrong. And I said, this is the generation that you guys are growing up in. And I'm so thankful that I'm old. But like, it's just, you have that, that reality now. We're told, because the enemy doesn't change. The enemy is still the same. The enemy still works. And so we need to be able to stand against the schemes of the devil, which means then you and I not only to stand in grace, stand in gospel truth, stand in faith, stand against the devil's schemes, we are also called to stand in unity as the people of God. Okay, we read this in 127 of Philippians. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. Then whether I come and see you, only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel. Now, there are so many other aspects that we can stand in and that we're called to stand in, to, be, to, be, to stand in the word, to stand in the promises of God, to stand in his spirit, to stand in wisdom, to stand in integrity. We're told in so many aspects of scripture that we are to stand. But you look at this, these five points, to stand in grace, points to the fact that we are now in a position we don't deserve, yet have been given to us because of his love. John 1.16. To stand in gospel truth means I am to have the gospel, which is the power of God, unto salvation as the central factor that my life revolves around and to which my life moves. To stand in faith is to walk in a manner that pleases him. Hebrews 11.6. To stand against the devil's schemes means we understand the nature of this current existence and that it's a battle for our souls, a battle for our mind, a battle for our affections, a battle for our hearts. We're told that in Ephesians 6.12, that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. And to stand in unity, which speaks to our being of one mind, of one heart, of one goal, and of one purpose. And you look at Acts chapter 2 and, and Ephesians Chapter 4 regarding those things. You see, like I said, these are about five of the numerous contexts for us to stand firm in. But the only way we are able to stand firm is if we have the right foundation. Making sure that we're not throwing sand on top of the foundation that is Jesus Christ. Begins with us having the right about laying aside everything that hinders and the sin that so easily trips us up. And instead, have and hold the word of God and train ourselves in that word. That we be workmen that needs not to be ashamed. Rightly dividing the word of truth. That we are proficient in wielding our swords of the spirit. Effective in holding up our shields of faith. Sensitive to the spirits moving and being appropriately adorned with the armor of God in the battles that we face. That's, that's why we are to stand. And we find such things within the word of God. 
You see, if this is where we are to then, like if, if we are to stand, then we had to go from there to my second point is to stand sure. Stand sure. Stand firm and stand sure. Let me explain. Verse 1 continues, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. How does one go back to slavery after tasting freedom? Why does one go back to oppression after experiencing liberty? Perhaps it's laziness. Perhaps it's a desire to dabble in sin. Perhaps it's misunderstanding of the gospel. It could be forgetfulness. It could be disappointment. Perhaps a combination of some, if not all, of these factors. The best example of this failure to to stand sure and to stand firm is revealed and summed up nicely within the children of Israel. They had this desire to go back to this yoke of slavery, and it was directly connected to their hardship, their trial, and their struggle that they were experiencing in the present that made them long for what was in the past. What was in the past? Slavery. What was in the past? Bondage. What was in the past? Difficulty. What was in the past? Hardship. They'd been delivered from all of that. And in this newness of their freedom, as God had moved them from place to place, they started longing for that once again. If you look at Exodus chapter 14, verses 10 to 12, you've got your Bibles. I don't know if I put it up there. I don't think I did. But if you want to get your Bibles, turn to Exodus 14, verses 10 to 12. And we read this. As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up, and there were the Egyptians marching after them. They were terrified and cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, sorry, they said to Moses, was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone? Let us serve the Egyptians. It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. You see, and what they say is just regret for their freedom. Regret for the choices that they made. They looked at it and were expecting, oh, God's delivered us. Everything's going to be sweet. No more problems from here on out which is the furthest thing from the truth. And you and I know this as the people of God. You choose to follow Jesus, you're held to a different standard. You choose to follow Jesus, you find out you've got to live in a life that's obedient to his word, not to what the world says. And then you get viewed in a negative way because you're making a stand for the things of God. And once you experience hardship, once you experience difficulty, once things don't go the way you're expecting them to go, we end up like the Egyptians. We start looking back. Wow. It was so much easier back then. Oh, do I have to do this? Do I have to do that? Longing for the things that are temporal. Longing for the things that give no longing satisfaction. And we forget about all the... See, straight away, they forgot about the beatings. They forgot about the whippings. They forgot about the unreasonable things that were asked of them. They forgot about all of that. Why? Because they were confronted with what they saw right there and right then. Exodus 16, verse 3, same thing. The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you have brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. Longing for what was. There is regret of a choice and there is longing for what was. 
This is what causes us to compromise the freedom that we have received in Jesus as well. We have a very similar mentality. We see the obstacles in front of us and wonder why we have to go through such things. We start to romanticize about our time back in Egypt and our lives and think it was so much better back then. We start to think about all the things that we're apparently missing out on as Christians. The comfort of being, say, maybe part of the in crowd, the indulgence of sinful choices. We begin to experience the... We, we begin to experience the reality of following Jesus, and it's not easy because those values are higher, that the accountability, the accountability to the Lord is real, and the problems that we encounter on that journey is not fixed by a 12-step program or by trying harder or me putting in more effort. It's about me relying on him. It's about me depending on him. It's about me trusting in him, even though I don't understand and even though life may not actually go the way I want it to. Thus, when this happens and we do encounter such hardship, we become like the Israelites and remember the so-called good things that we used to have, forgetting about the hangovers the next day, forgetting about the broken relationships that may have been caused, forgetting about the dependence or the indebtedness that we might find ourselves in financially. We forget about all this other stuff. Now, it's not saying that we can't enjoy things. Not saying that we can't enjoy life or get involved in doing things in life, but I like these two quotes. One's by Joy Davidman. She says this, Living for one's own pleasure is the least pleasurable thing a man can do. If his neighbors neighbors don't kill him in disgust, he will die slowly of boredom and lovelessness. This is what happens when we focus on the things of this life as to the things of eternity. C.S. Lewis puts a a wonderful twist on this. He talks about it's a burning within our own hearts and within our own souls when we try to find our contentment in things outside of Jesus Christ. R. Kent Hughes says this, Of course there is nothing wrong with pleasure per se. Christians ought to be free to enjoy life's pleasures. Good food, recreations, and diversions are important parts of life in proper perspective. We all know that all work and no play makes Jack a dull boy, but we must remember too that all play and no work makes Jack an idolater. I think that's pretty good. But that's the reality of it. That's why it's important for you and I, if we're going to stand in anything, yes, we we stand in grace. Yes, we stand on God's gospel truth. Yes, we stand against the schemes of the devil. We stand in faith. We stand in unity. We must be standing in the word of God to remind us of the riches that are, for, that are in front of us so we don't and are not tempted by the, 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 those things in the past that kept us bound, that kept us enslaved. So then, how do we avoid being burdened again? How do we avoid returning to a yoke of slavery? As the third one, to stand strong. Uh, you notice on my things, I like to say stand strong, walk close. Okay, I've, I've extended that stand strong, live, uh, walk close, live free. That's, that's what it is now. But your muscles must be stressed for them to become stronger. Your mind must be challenged for you to become alert. Your senses must be used for you to become aware. There must be activity in the strengthening 
process. The same principle applies to one's spiritual life. Our spiritual muscles must be flexed for them to become stronger. And the flexing of our spiritual muscles also means this, though. We want our muscles to get stronger. That's not only what we do, but it's also what we do not do. Yes, it is what we do, but it's also what we do not do. We deny ourselves certain things as we eat. We deny ourselves certain things that we drink. We deny ourselves certain things that we might actually do that hinder the growth of our muscles. So too spiritually. Yes, we can be strong, but that strength also comes not by doing, but also by one's consecration, one's setting themselves apart, one's not doing certain things. I love the word, one being obedient. I think that sums it up. One being obedient. So here are three things to look at. We are to be strong in vision. Psalm 25, 15. My eyes are ever on the Lord, for only he will release my feet from the snare. My eyes are ever on the Lord. I mean, be honest with yourself and what and what your old life outside of Jesus was doing to you. You may have had the acknowledgement of man, you may have had wealth and status, but what does it profit a man that they should gain the whole world and lose one's soul? What on earth is there? If you're going to have a vision for the things of God, then all other things pale in comparison. When one looks at the woman who's the apple of your eye, all other females pale in comparison to the beauty of the woman that you've committed yourself to. We are told that our God is the bright and morning star. We are told that he far exceeds and outshines anything and anyone in this existence. He is the one with whom we are to have our eyes toward. Because honestly, before Jesus, you and I, we were doomed to hell. Simple as that. And God, in his grace, in sending Jesus Christ to die for us and rise again, rise again, has enabled us to be able to have a strong vision of him. Not only do we have strong vision, strong in vision, we have to be strong in the word. 2 Timothy 2.15, I mentioned it before, do your best to, to present yourself to God as a worker who does not need to be ashamed, who correctly handles the word of truth. The only way our vision can be strengthened and our vision can be focused is knowing the word of God. To know him, to know his promises as revealed in scripture, to know his works that are contained within his pages and also identified in our lives around us and to know his ways that we might know him. When I encourage you to stand in faith, once again, knowing the word enables you to stand in faith. We are told that in Romans ten seventeen that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. That enables our faith to grow, but also sharpens our spiritual vision. It's really interesting how um, I, I find it in my Bible. I have, I have to get. A, I bought another Bible. I bought another Bible because the words here are too small now. So I find whenever I read, whenever I read, I can read okay in natural light, the light of the sun. Well, that sounds like a real spiritual metaphor there. Eh? I'm able to see in the light of the sun, but 
but artificial light, like light inside the house, I can't read it. It's too small. I need the light of the sun to be able to, oh, there it is. I need natural light. Man-made light, it's all fuzzy. Don't see it. That's what it's like in life. To be strong in the word, we need the sun to be able to reveal to us the truth in scripture. Not rely on man-made light, but rely on the sun's light to enlighten our souls and to awaken our spirits. Okay? So we'd be strong in vision, we'd be strong in the word, and once again, not only to stand in faith, to be strong in faith. It's by faith that our spiritual muscles are flexed. Um, in Second Timothy, when it talks about um, exercising yourself to godliness, that word exercise is the word where you get the word gymnasium from. We need to go into the gymnasium of life for our spiritual muscles to grow. Without the stretching of our faith, like our inactive and Without the stretching of our faith, like inactive muscles, they will atrophy and become weak and useless. For being strong in faith, strong in the word, and strong in vision leads us to being strong in relationship, strong in the spirit, and strong in direction. Relationship because it enables us to see the greatness of Jesus over our slavery, over our circumstances strong in the spirit that gives us power to overcome temptation and to live in victory strong in direction because it stirs us to repent us to for us to repent from our own personal egypts and unto the lord you see it is in that we are to stand firm it is in him we are to stand firm and that is the charge for you and i of not know of of understanding and knowing how to stand in this present age. How to stand effectively for the Lord. On who to stand so our feet are planted not on sinking sands and shifting sands, but on the solid rock that is Jesus Christ. You see, this is the charge that is laid out for you and I today in Galatians chapter 5.1. You see, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free, yes. Therefore, stand firm. Stand in grace. Stand in faith. Stand in the word. Stand against the schemes of the devil. Stand Stand in Jesus Christ. Then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. The charge for you and I and our standing is to experience the freedom that has been given to us in Jesus Christ. May you and I, as we go from this place today, live free and stand firm. If you'd just like to be upstanding, I'm going to close in a word of prayer and we'll commit ourselves to the Lord. Heavenly Father, as we stand before you this morning, we ask firstly for your forgiveness. We confess to you our own selfishness, 
our own self-centeredness, our own willingness to go back to the yoke of slavery because things haven't gone the way we wanted or things have been disappointing, that we have looked to things that are temporal for our comfort and for our security and completely laid you to the side. I pray, Lord, that you will stir within our hearts the spirit of repentance, to repent of such things and to seek first the kingdom of God and your righteousness. Father, please open our eyes to see the sheer beauty of what you've given us. Please help us to live lives of gratitude and appreciation of this gift of life, this gift of freedom, this gift of forgiveness, this gift of love. Father, we ask for you to speak to our hearts now that when we leave here, it won't be soon forgotten, but rather lived out moment by moment, day by day, as we walk in the light that you have given us. Please help us, Lord Jesus. We need you to move in each of our hearts. Move. Have your way. May this church represent you to a world in need of you. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. And all God's people said,